see, there's my mic. What we're going to see is that, uh, that these are meant to work in perfect harmony. The way the husband loves and the way the wife respects, these are meant to work in perfect harmony. So as you remain standing, let me read for you our text. And, and as I turn there, I'm going to tell you, some people, they came in today saying, I'm so excited to hear this message. Other people were dragging their feet, coming in and saying, I'm not sure if I want to hear this message. But let's now open up to God's word. Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is itself, or excuse me, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, let's stop right there and have a seat. This is, a, this is an incredible text. This is such an important text. And, and this is a text in the context of Ephesians chapter 5, which we've called this series, The Gift of Love. And so all of this, it, it comes back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which are our theme verses for the year. These verses that we've come back to over and over again this, this year, right? It begins, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is our core text. And then as we walk through Ephesians chapter 5, we see all the ways we are to walk in love and some of the ways we're not to walk in love. And last week we saw how a husband is to walk in love by laying down his life, by being sacrificial in the way he leads and as I mentioned, now we're going to back up and we're going to look at how, how a wife, how she walks in love toward her husband. But, but if you notice the text, the text does not say that wives are to love their husbands. The text says something different. The text, text says that wives are to, to submit or respect their husbands. This is kind of like uh, the reality that men and women, they're just a little bit different, right? We're just a little bit different. If, if let's, say, let's say I love oranges, and let's say you love apples, and you decide one day that you want to show me your love, and you're going to show me your love by buying me some fruit. Well, what kind of fruit are you going to buy me? Apples, obviously. You don't love me very much, do you? <laughs> Hopefully, you would buy me oranges. Well, this is, this is actually... I think a helpful illustration as we begin to look at this text tonight. Because, because for a man to have his wife look into his eyes and be like, honey, I love you so much, that helps. In a sense, there's a, 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 an appreciation of that love. But for a wife to actually show her husband love, she doesn't say, I love you. According to the scripture, for a wife to actually walk in love, what she does is she respects him. She honors him. She follows him. That's what we're going to see today as the Spirit of God inspires the Apostle Paul to write these words. In fact, my big idea today, it's very simple. It's pulled right from the scripture. Here it is. Wives, truly submit to your husbands. Now, I recognize I'm using a word that puts all of us on edge. Submit. Who here likes to be told to submit? Is it an enjoyable kind of word in our context and culture? Is it the kind of thing that we feel very like warm fuzzies about when we're instructed or demanded that we submit? See, generally in our culture, this is a, this is a word that holds a whole lot of negative baggage. A whole lot of negative baggage. And so I want, to, I want to begin with a few questions for you to wrestle with. Do you believe this is the word of God? Do you believe that God's design is good? Do you believe that God's word is true? And do you believe if all of those things, if you say yes to all of those things, do you believe that God chose this word because this is exactly the word he wants us to live by? I'm not here to arm wrestle you into believing into that, but, but I'm going to preach this text as the word of God 
I'm going to preach this text as the word of God, not with apology, not with timidness, not with the saying, you know, that's kind of the word of God. We don't, we don't really want to touch that one very often, but, but with, a, with a full heart saying, this is how God has made marriage, not just to work, but to thrive. To thrive. And so with this tension, let's open up our Bibles. If you have not opened up your Bible yet, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 5, We've already looked at verses 25 through 32 last week. Now we're going to back up and we're going to pick up in verse 22. And here's what we're going to talk about. We're, we're going to talk about this message that wives are to truly submit to our husbands, their husbands. And this is where it starts, verse 22. We're going to see that you submit to your husband as you do to Christ. Again, this is just me really pulling the language right from the text. Verse 22, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's what it says. It says, wives, you were to submit to your own husbands and you were to do so in the same exact way that you would submit to the Lord. This is saying the same exact way that you would submit to Jesus Christ, that you are to live your life in such a way that you are submitting to your husband. Now, we probably should should put some handles around this word submit. What, What is submission? How are we to understand that? Well, submission, first of all, submission is choosing to obey. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about submission. It's choosing to obey. You know, there's no way around this word in the original language. This word can be translated submit. It can be translated subject yourselves to, and it can be translated obey. (laughs) Those are the three options, and those three options mean the exact same thing. They are meant to place yourself in a position where you are following. Now, this, this word here, the, the form of it, it's, uh, it's kind of in this, uh, this weird spot in the Greek language where it could be either what we call uh, in its, its voice, either passive or it can be middle. If it's passive, then this text would be translated and it's translated with this sense that you are to submit to really this idea of a a dictator and you are to submit by his force. If this is a passive verb, then the idea is that that you are to submit to your husband and he is going to bring his hand down upon you and make you do that. Well, if it's middle, that's not what it means. If it's middle, it's instead of submitting by force, if it's a middle voice, it means that you are to willingly act in submission. Now, I, I, I know we're not all Greek scholars here, but let me, uh, let me ask you to think about this context. Because in the context, we have just seen Jesus as the benevolent, loving, sacrificial Savior to the church. In this context, do you think this is supposed to be a passive verb? Or do you think it's supposed to be a middle verb? In this context, do you think as this text, I mean, not even just this text, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, as we have just lavished and enjoyed and basked and and been overwhelmed by everything that God has done for you in Christ, how he has saved you, how he has raised you up, how he has made you alive, how he has lifted you into the heavenly places, as we've seen all of these amazing things that Christ has done for you, do you think this is a text that says, now Christ is going to come and he's going to put his hand upon your your neck and force you into submission. I was expecting to see people shaking their head no at this point. I guess not. This is, contextually, that's not what this is saying. This isn't saying that you submit by force. Submission in this context is to willingly follow and obey someone's lead. This is what it means. It's to choose to follow their lead. It's to choose to obey. This is the context. And who are you to choose to obey? Well, notice it says your own husbands. I was talking to someone this week about this passage, and they said that in their previous church experience, they were part of a church where there were other men in that church, and they felt like they had authority over every woman in that church just because the Bible says submit. Listen, that's not what this says at all. This does not say that if you are a woman, that you are to walk around in submission to every single man within the church. No, the text says you are to submit to your own 
husband. Notice it also doesn't say husbands. Make sure your wife submits. That's not what the text says. The text actually instructs wives to make sure that they are obediently following. And, and it doesn't say husbands make sure they're doing it. Just like the text instructs husbands to sacrificially love their wife. The text does not say wives you should give your husband a report card every day to make sure he's doing this. The Bible puts you as responsible for what you are called to do. Wives, you are not called to make sure your husband is loving you the right way. Husbands, you are not called to, to make sure your wife is submitting. Let's make sure we have each of our roles clearly in place. See, this is the point of this text as we begin. And it says the, uh, the wife is to obey or to submit to their husband as they do to the Lord. See, the church, you and I, we choose to obey Christ because of his sacrificial love and care. Christ has done nothing but lavish us with grace and mercy and love. And what is the church's response? The church's response in that moment is we say, wow, look at everything he's done for me. I am going to submit to him. I am going to follow him. In the same way, a wife is to choose to follow her husband because of his sacrificial love and care. See, this is what it looks like. It looks like sometimes when we read the Bible, we come across things that challenge us and we say, you know, if, if I were the one writing this, I, I would have wrote it differently. I would not include that encouragement. I would not include that instruction. I would not include that command. In fact, sometimes we read this and we say, wow, Lord, that's going to be really hard. But you know what? Because you have said it and because I trust you, I am going to do whatever it is you say. Well, this is the exact same picture in the family. Sometimes in the family, when a husband and wife have a decision to make, sometimes when it's a hard decision, sometimes when it's a directional decision, sometimes when it's a big decision, there will be moments when the husband says, I think this is the direction we need to go. And the wife says, I'm not sure that's the right direction. But in that moment, will you choose to follow? Will you choose to obey? Will you choose to submit? See, this is, this is the tension that exists in the, in the heart of every wife here. You say, Mike, how do you know that? That's a really big statement to make. I make that statement because of the fall. You remember when the serpent came and deceived Eve and Adam and they ate of the first fruit? You remember when God came and he, he found Adam and Eve in their sin and he began to lay out the curse that each would experience? Genesis chapter 3, 16 says, As God is laying the curse upon the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. See, in our fallen nature, in our rebellious state, Men are given to certain sin, and women are given to certain sin. Men have certain weaknesses, and women have certain weaknesses. Men have a certain expression of the fall that they have to deal with, and women have a certain expression of the fall. And part of the expression of the fall that exists in the heart is to, is to be contrary to the husband. To be... To be Instead of willingly following, it's to be contrary to his rule. This is part of the tension of the fall. See, submission is choosing to obey. Now, I, I know you've probably got a thousand questions in your mind right now. I know some of you guys want to raise your hand. Obey what? Obey how much? What are the limits? What are the extent? What don't I obey? What do I obey, right? I see, I know you're already asking some of those questions. Uh, one of the biggest questions is, well, I, I, I get this. I want to obey, but what if, what if my husband's not doing what's good for our family? What if my husband's doing what's harmful to our family? What do I do in that moment? I'm going to ask you, would you, would you hold on to that question? That question in particular, what if there's harm that is coming from your husband. We will return to that at the end. But let's just continue. When we talk about submitting as to the Lord, 
This is making sure we have a very clear idea in our mind. When, when it talks about submission, it's talking about obedience. Submission is choosing to obey, but secondly, submission is choosing to respect. We touched on these verses at the end of last week's message. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 and 33 Paul ends this great description of the husband who sacrificially loves his wife and the wife who, who willingly submits to and follows her husband. Verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this profound mystery that he talks about, this profound mystery is what we hang our hat on at Valley. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message that Jesus, he loved us so much. He loved you so much that he doesn't have this long list for you. It says, if you do all of these things, I will accept you and I will make you mine. Rather, he says, you have messed up completely, but I love you so much that I'm going to die and pay the price for all of your sin, past, present, and future. I'm going to forgive you top to bottom, inside and out, all the way. He does this through his death, and then in his resurrection, he gives you a brand new life. Paul says, this mystery is profound. This mystery is about Christ and the church. Just as Christ loved and gave, a husband is to love and give his own life. Just like the church trusts and obeys, the wife is to trust and obey. Except here in this text, it uses the word respect. The end of the verse, it says, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this word respect, it, it's actually the word we get fear from. If, if this word is used in a context of intimidation, it could be, I'm afraid. But, but in, in a context where there is benevolence, in a context where there is meant to be sacrificial love, in the context of this passage right here, it can be translated, instead of fear, it's translated respect or honor. This is, this is, a, lot, a wife is to honor her husband, respect him. The same exact word is used in 1 Peter chapter 3. I, I mentioned this last week that we would return to this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This is the exact same thing we have in Ephesians 5. Wives, be subject, not to every husband, but to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by, your, or excuse me, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful, same word, respectful and pure conduct. Again, we have this phrase, be subject. This is the idea of obey or submit. It's to willingly follow their lead. And then it talks about how there may be some, look at this, some who do not obey the word. This is Peter writing to the church, and he's writing to a woman who has trusted in Christ, or, or women in general, who have trusted in Christ, but their husband has yet to trust in Christ. And he's saying, listen, even if your husband is not a believer, this is how you are to conduct yourself toward him. It has a non-believing husband in view. I would argue this would apply then, not just to a non-believing husband, but if you're sitting here as a wife and you're thinking, man, my husband's not the spiritual leader in our household. He says he's a Christian, but he's not super engaged. Maybe your husband is immature. Maybe he is weak spiritually. This applies in the same exact way. And so here's what it says. It says, you are to win him over. How? You win him over how? By setting him straight? By making sure every night you lecture him so he knows all the things he should do and all the things he shouldn't do? What does the text say? How do you win him over? That they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies in the room, you are daily fed a dose of, uh, we can call it worldly perspective, 
We can call it feminism at work underneath a lot of the ideas we believe. And all of these worldly ideas, they're saying you need to be loud and proud. You need to be a strong, independent woman. You need to make a stand for yourself. You need to tell everyone how it is and not let anyone cross you. That is not the biblical picture. That, that is the world's way of getting what you want. That is not the biblical way of getting what God has called you to desire. We have so many anti-examples of this. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll be talking with a gal and she'll just start dogging on her husband, just demeaning him and, and speaking about him in a negative light. There's been times where I've just, I've said to a gal, I've said, listen, I'm not going to listen to you speak about your husband in that way. That is not respectful at all. Maybe you're not so bold to say that to a pastor, but what about when you're with your, your lady friends? Let me tell you about my husband. Let me, let me tell you what a fool he is. Let me, tell me what it, let me tell you what he did. Or do you respect him and honor him? Sometimes I see uh, ladies demean their husbands in, in the presence of other people. They, they make fun of him or talk down to his face. And people kind of laugh it off. This is, this is the way the world operates, not the way a Christian woman operates. Or, or what about being oppositional to your husband and his leadership? What if every time he tries to lead your family, every time he tries to make an adjustment, every time he tries to, to adjust course and make your family move in a, a certain direction, you are resistant. You're resistant. I found that there is a lot of Christian women who want their husbands to lead, but they want their husbands to lead in the exact way they tell them to. This is not the biblical way. This is not a way that's full of respect. This is not the obedience that you've been called to. See, we as the church, we choose to respect and honor Christ with our submission to him and his word in the same exact way a wife is to choose to honor and respect her husband by submission, obedience to his leadership. Ladies, you are to submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. Well, let's keep going in our text. That's, that's one verse of three, right? We're, you know, a third of the way done. Let's take a deep breath, right? What about verse 23? Not only do you submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord, but you submit to your husband because of God's design. This is the way God made the family, husband and wife relationship to work. Verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This verse, is, this verse is implying the design that God has made within a husband and wife relationship. The question then is, what is this design meant to look like? What is this design? Well, let me, let me remind you of some of last week, what the design looks like out of this text and out of a few others. First of all, God calls husbands to lead lovingly. This is God's call. If you were not here last week, and if you, especially if you were a man or if you're married, a married man, you need to listen to last week's message. If all you do is listen to this message and you go home and be like, hey, pastor in the Bible said submit, but you don't hear last week's message, you are missing so much of what this actually looks like. But, but here's the brief piece. God calls husbands to lead lovingly. Verse 23 calls the husband the head of the wife. Now the word head here, there, there's sometimes some debate over it, but the word head, and it's just most plain meaning, it means authority. The husband is the leader, the authority of the wife. Because Christ is the, the leader or the authority of the church. The, the same word is used in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight if you know 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, the same word is used. Verse 3, uh, Paul writes, he says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The authority, the leader of every man is Christ. And the head of every wife is her husband. The authority, the leader. 
and the head of Christ is God. Well, the theological deep water is this last statement. Christ, he followed his heavenly father's lead perfectly. Every man is to follow Christ and his lead perfectly. We don't do it perfectly, but that's our aim. And then every wife is to follow a husband and his lead perfectly. This is the image that it's given, or that we're given in this text. And I wanted you to notice, this is, this is an appeal to the way God has designed the church and the world to work. This, this authority, this isn't like an authority that's like, I'm going to sit up on a throne and I'm going to have this high position and I'm just going to you know, tell you to do whatever my beck and call and will is. This authority is leadership. This authority is responsibility. See, the world thinks about authority and leadership and they think about it as like what I can get out of it. But the biblical picture of authority and leadership is always what can I pour into those that I care for. That's the idea here. And so God calls husbands to lead lovingly, but then along with that, God calls wives to follow faithfully. Now this text, it talks about head coverings. Now I'm not going to open this can of worms entirely tonight. We can, we can have that conversation another night. But, but the, the idea here is that during prayer or prophecy in, in the church of Corinth and in all of the churches that Paul saw, the women were to, and they did, they wore head coverings during certain parts of worship service or during the worship services as a, as a whole. Let me read this text for you, verses four through six. It says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, well, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Now, we can have this argument about head coverings another day. But the point here that everyone agrees on, whether you believe in head coverings or not, the point here is head coverings, they signaled something. What they signaled predominantly was a wife and her fidelity religiously and sexually to her husband. In the context here, the world of Corinth, it was full of all sorts of infidelity. And in, in the context of the cultic worship, there was this rampant sexual immorality. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians, you're going to find all about it. And, and what was put in place as part of what signaled a wife was being faithful to her husband was that she would wear a head covering to demonstrate that she was faithful to him and that she was unavailable for any of the other sexual advances that existed in that world in that day. Now, head coverings, big picture. It's a covering that shows sexual purity as well as faithfulness to the husband. It shows that she is willing to follow her husband. Really, it was, it was demonstrating a posture. See, a woman's posture and presentation to the world reflects something about her husband. Let me say that again. A woman in her posture, her presentation to the world, it reflects something about her faithfulness to her husband. Ladies, is your posture and is your attire is the way you dress and your attitude, does it reflect that you are trying to be alluring and you're available? Or does it reflect that you are trying to be, you're trying to be modest and that you are monogamous? This is, this, this is the tension right here. I'm not trying to draw a lot of thick lines around head coverings today, but, but the point of all of this is the way you present yourself to the world reflects something about your husband. Are, are you presenting yourself to the world that says, well, I want, I want the attention of other guys? Or is your presentation to the world saying, I am, I am faithful to the one who I gave vows to? That, that's the point here. So with this in mind, this is all about God's design. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, we looked at the first two verses. Let me read a few more for you. It says, do not, speaking to wives, do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, excuse me, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, when this text talks about adorning yourself with, with wealth or with gold and with clothing, this is talking about it, it, in that day, it was customary if you were wealthy to show your wealth with the way you dressed. It was also customary to, if you were wanting to be seductive, you could dress in a certain way that would draw people's attention toward you. It would draw people's eyes toward you. It, now, Peter's not saying that there's like a, just an absolute prohibition against any kind of jewelry. In fact, in the original language, when he talks about clothing or garments, he actually says, do not wear clothes. That's the literal translation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying do not wear clothes. His point is, you should not fall upon your clothes and your external presentation as your identity. Rather, it is important what he emphasizes, in particular, what he's trying to do is, is, how does your attire, how does your external presentation, how does, it, how does it display something about your relationship with your husband? The previous verse talked about being respectful and submitting. See, to be married, and in this context, to a non-believer in the ancient world, I want you to just imagine the situation. If a wife is married to a non-believer and she is about to go to her church gathering and in pre preparation to go into the church gathering, she puts on her fanciest clothes and puts all the, the gold into her hair that she can and she gets all dolled up to leave her husband at home to go and hang out with these Christians and worship in a culture where many of the pagan worship temples had cult prostitution. What do you think the husband's thinking? Saying, I'm not too sure about this, wife. I'm not too comfortable with you. Ah, this is, this, is, this is walking down a road that I don't think is healthy for us. And so instead, Peter writes, instead, the focus is to adorn yourself with the inner person showing externally. This idea of the inner person, it's the, the totality of who you are in your character. And then he describes it as the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle. Ladies, husbands and wives are both called to gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit that is produced when the spirit works in a man or a woman alike. But there is a unique way that you are called toward gentleness. It's part of the design. It's part of our nature. Men generally are called to be somewhat dangerous. We talked about last week the example of someone breaks into your house in the middle of the night. Guys, are you going to say, hey, honey, will you go check that out? No. The man is going to charge into battle. He's going to defend his home. He's going to protect those in his care. And the wife in her vulnerability is going to foster a heart of gentleness and a quietness of spirit. Now notice, notice the final description here in this text. It says this is precious, very precious in God's sight. I just want to go back to what the world tells you about what, what you should be as a woman. Are you aiming at what the world approves of in your life? Are you aiming at getting all of the Instagram likes with the, po the, the pictures you post on, on Instagram or on Facebook? Are you, are you aiming at creating this persona that the world approves of because of the way you act or the way you talk? Because how you've cast off the patriarchy? Or are you aiming at becoming the kind of woman that, notice, is precious just in God's sight. Fulfilling the design that he created you to live with. This is why you're called to submit to your husband. This is how God designed you. This is, this is the design he has for your marriage. See, we're using this word submit. Remember, this word submit, it means to willfully or willingly subject yourself or obey your husband. 
This is not me. Uh, my job is not to make sure that you are submitting to your husband. Your husband's job is not to make sure you are submitting to him. He's to lead you in a way that leads you to do that. But listen, at the end of the day, this is how God designed it. And this is your choice. Will you willingly choose to submit to and follow your husband? The text says to submit as to the Lord. We see that we do this because this is the way that God designed it. But then our third main point is you submit to your husband. Here it is. You ready for this? Hold on to your seat. You submit to your husband in everything. Everything. Verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Is that word everything a comfortable word to you? Is it a scary word? Does this mean that if your husband instructs you tonight to go and, I don't know, clean the toilet with your toothbrush and then brush your teeth, does this mean that you have to do that? Does this mean that if your husband is abusive to you, then he just says that you are to take it, that you have to do that? Does this verse, does this functionally turn the wife into a slave to her husband so she does whatever he says because the Bible says that she is to submit in everything? Well, I want to answer these questions. I think we need to answer these questions. I think we need to know what does everything entail? And I think the fairest way for me to do this is I want to talk about the context of this word everything And then, after we have the context clear in our mind, I want to talk about the limits of this word everything, because there there are some. But let me me introduce you to the context. The context of everything. I would argue that this word everything is used when giving the ideal picture of marriage. This This is the ideal picture of marriage. What is the ideal picture? I'm going to repeat myself a little bit here, but, but let's talk about it. First of all, wives. Wives should expect sacrificial love. Ladies in this room, you should expect sacrificial Christ-like love from your husbands. Verse 25, husbands, here it is. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the call upon every man in this church. You are to love your wife in a sacrificial way. You don't love her when she earns it. Christ didn't love you when you earned it. You love her by laying down your life. This is what we saw last week. Now, this kind of love, what does it entail? It it, it entails leadership and provision. Biblically speaking, this kind of love, it entails leadership and and provision. Let me give you an example. An example out of Ephesians. Maybe this comes out a little bit out of nowhere, but, but if you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, we, we preach through Ephesians 4. We call that walking worthy of the call. Remember that? Ephesians 4 begins, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you've been called. And then we see all of these instructions that help us understand what does it look like to walk worthy. We'll look at chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It's giving instruction, but as it gives instruction, it gives some incredible theology. Verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is, here it is, the head, the authority, the leader, into Christ. Now check this out, verse 16. From whom, from Christ, the whole body, this is the entire church, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, Makes Christ makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. This is how Christ provides and leads the church. I mean, really, the picture is Christ is working in us and Christ is working among us and he is working in such a way so he is building us up and he is strengthening us and he is teaching us in love so that we can love each other more and more. This is how Christ, the head, leads his church. This is how the husband, the head, leads his wife. In the same way Christ is working in the church, building it up in love, the husband should be working in his family, building it up in love. 
And so this means in the same way the church submits to Christ because they know that Christ will provide everything they need. The wife, the wife submits to her husband because he know, she knows that he will provide everything that she needs. This is what a wife should expect. She should expect the benevolent, sacrificial, I will go to the end of the earth kind of love from the husband. Wives, you should not expect your husband to be selfish and self-focused. You should not expect your husbands to say, this is what I want to do every day. This is how I'm going to spend my time. This is how I'm going to spend my money. Rather, you should expect him looking for ways to build up you and your family in love. Wives should expect sacrificial love. Remember, this is the ideal. The second part of the ideal, the other side of the coin. Husbands should expect sacrificial submission. See, the, the spirit of the command is clear. The spirit of the command is that wives should do everything they possibly can to honor, to trust, and to follow their husbands. Just like we're not going to stand up at a worship service and, and talk bad about Jesus, we're going to do quite the opposite. A wife's life should be a life where she is looking to do everything she can to build up and honor and follow and even obey her husband. This is the context of the word, everything. But what about when the wheels come off the track? What about when the ideal is not being lived? What about when the, the husband is not being Christ-like in his provision and in his leadership and in his love? Well, I would argue based on other scriptures that this word in everything should not be taken as an absolute. Sorry, guys. You can't tell your wife to go clean the toilet with her toothbrush and then brush her teeth. It's not an absolute. Rather, there are some parameters around this. Remember earlier when I asked you to hold on to the question, and the question was, what if my husband's decisions are not what's best for the family? What are those limits? What are those parameters? I'll give you two tonight. Here's the first one. If there are actions that are disobedient to God, you do not need to obey them. If there are actions that are disobedient to God, you, do, you are called, in fact, the opposite. You are called to not obey them. A great example of this is in Acts chapter 5 when Peter is standing before the civil magistrates. Now, the Bible instructs us to obey our civil magistrates. The Bible instructs us to obey our governing authority. And the governing authority in this moment, they have told the, the apostles that they shall not speak of Christ anymore. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles, they answered, we must obey God rather than man <laughs> or men. But let's just be very clear. If a husband gives instructions that are counter to God and his revealed word, <laughs> you have zero obligation to obey that. Rather, your obligation is to obey God rather than man. Now, I look around at this church, and I'm doubting that there's a lot of that happening, right? But, but here's your second, your second guardrail. Not only are they actions that are disobedient to God, but, but secondly, actions that are harmful to self and others. I would argue that actions that are harmful to you or to others are actions that you need not obey, that you don't have to sit and suffer under. Now, depending on the extent, you can choose to. We'll talk about that later. But look at, look at chapter 5, verses 29 through 31. This is speaking about a husband and his sacrificial love toward his wife. Look at how it describes the way he treats his wife. Look at how it describes the way that Christ treats the body. It says, For no such one, a, a man, ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one 
flesh. See, a husband is to nourish and cherish his own body. And guess what? A husband has become one flesh with his wife, which means a husband is to nourish and cherish his wife. And in those situations where he is not doing that, in those situations that maybe you've seen, where verses like Ephesians 5 that says to submit to your husband in everything are weaponized, it says you need to submit no matter what. This is how you honor Christ. Listen, this does not call you to remain being harmed in a bad situation. Instead, I believe that the scripture calls you to find help. This is so, you realize the body is mentioned in every chapter of Ephesians. What is the body? It's the church. See, instead of sitting under and suffering silently in a bad situation where no one knows that you're dealing with dreadful things, the body, the church of Christ, this body can walk with you and help you and care for you. In fact, if you are in need of help, no, I don't know what is going on in your home right now. If you were in need of help, you were not alone. Husbands, maybe you've gotten off track. Maybe you know that you're off track and you're not treating your wife the way you should be. Listen, if that is you, we are not going to be those that judge you and point fingers at you and pick on you. In fact, we will walk with you and we will offer you grace and we will help you in any way we can. That's our promise to you. And wives, if you are suffering in a situation that is harmful to you or to your children, you're not called to suffer under that. You're called to find help. And there is help in this church family. Now, I want to move to application. I want to end this, bring it to a close for everyone. But before I do, I, I, I recognize there's probably some there's probably still some tension in our heart and mind about what this looks like in practicality. Well, I've decided I'm going to preach a second message on this next week. And I'm just going to tell you my title and I'm going to ask you to come back and, and we'll flesh out some of these concepts a little bit more with some other texts of scripture. But next week, we're going to talk about love, the gift of love. We're going to talk about marriage, the gospel, and divorce. We're going to talk about when things really go off the track and how the church should think biblically about some of these issues that sometimes we only think superficially about. Uh, my hope is, my heart is to help us all think well. Now, let me bring this to a close. Application. What does this look like for every person here tonight? First of all, wives. Wives are to respect and submit to your husbands. I imagine there are some ladies in this room that you need to humble yourself tonight. You've had a, an attitude that is not honoring to your spouse. Maybe you're, you're the gal that's been belittling, or maybe you're the one that's just resistant to his leadership. If you need to repent to him, I, I ask you to do that. Go to him and say, Husband, I have not honored you and respected you the way I'm called to, and I am sorry. Husbands, if your wife says that to you in that moment, just without, without hesitation, say, I forgive you. Let's, let's hit the reset button. Let's do a fresh start right now. Let's figure this out God's way. Husbands, what is your application? I, I want to call you to aim at being the most respectable man that you possibly can. Just like last week, I, I called wives to make a husband's job easy by being as lovely as possible. Husbands, make your wife's job easy by being as respectable as possible. Maybe there are things that you need to cut out of your life. Maybe there are actions that you need to change. Maybe you need to go get some help. Do whatever it takes so that you can be a man of high esteem so your wife can respect you with such ease. How about the single and young ladies? Those who are not married, those who are uh, divorced or yet to be married, those who are young, uh, there's some young ladies in the front up here. Here's what I would call you to practice modesty and respect. Start practicing it right now. I know you live in a world that's telling you all the time to be sarcastic or dismissive toward guys, to kind of pick on them all the time or dishonor them. Uh, practice right now. Practice with your fathers. Respect your fathers. Show them honor. Show them th that they are your protection, that you're, they're your covering. 
show them that. Tell them that. Tell them how you honor them and respect them. Do it with the young guys that are respectable. The young guys that aren't respectable, just avoid those guys. Like, stay away from them, right? But if you see respectability in a young man, honor that in him. And then finally, single and young man, young men, I just want to encourage you to set your standard on the fear of the Lord. Set your standard on the fear of the Lord. I was thinking about Proverbs 31. I'm going to close with this. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Young men, there's going to be a lot of charming young ladies around and a lot of beautiful young ladies around. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Set your standard high. Uh, don't settle for a woman that's just fun. Settle for a woman who, or aim for a woman who is godly. This is a lot. I, I want to thank you for sticking in this with me. This, this is heavy. But I'm going to go to the very beginning. I asked you a few questions. Do you believe that God has revealed his word? Do you believe that his word is true? And do you believe that his design is good? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we don't have to figure out how to be a husband and a wife on our own, but rather you have laid it out for us in, in very clear terms. You, you have made it clear, and, and sometimes it's hard, especially in the culture we live in, sometimes it's hard to believe that it's good. But Lord, today we put our faith in you and your word. Help us to be those who, who want your ways, and, and even though we're imperfect and even though we stumble, Lord, help us to grow into faithfulness. Father, I pray for the wives in this church. Father, I pray that you would help them to be uh, everything you've called them to be. I thank you that your spirit lives in them by faith in Christ and that, that they can achieve what you've called them to. I pray that they would develop that gentle and quiet spirit, that they would be able to honor and respect and submit to their husbands in a way that honors you, Lord. Father, again, I pray for the the husbands, the men of this church, Lord, I pray that you would make us all men that are worthy of respect. Father, I pray that we would be less worried about whether or not our wives respect us and more worried about our actions and our attitudes. May we be those who are passionate about sacrificially loving our wives, our church, and our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.